episode is brought to you by Shady Brook Farms. If you're looking for ways to make mealtime healthier in the new year, make your favorite recipes with turkey from Shady Brook Farms. Take the pressure off. Keep it simple and tasty without sacrificing flavor for nutrition. Whether you want a delicious sandwich or a post-workout protein, Shady Brook Farms turkey can do it all. Visit ShadyBrookFarms.com for recipe inspiration and to find retailers near you. Shady Brook Farms. Eat what you love. Inspired by the life of the savvy and ambitious Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco comes a new Netflix original limited series. Griselda tells the story of a devoted mother who, with her lethal blend of charm and relentless savagery, creates one of the most powerful cartels in history. Witness Sofia Vergara's captivating transformation into the godmother of the underworld. Griselda, now streaming only on Netflix. Join me, 48 Hours correspondent Erin Moriarty, on my podcast, My Life of Crime, as I take on true crime investigations like no other. This season, I'm looking into the labyrinth of crime and secrets within families. I'm cutting straight to the evidence and talking to the people directly involved, including investigators and the families of victims. Listen to My Life of Crime with Erin Moriarty wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Happy Chemicals. I am your host, Christian Rivera, and today I want to talk about the real fear and effects of insane asylums over history. Not any sort of scientific detail. I'm not a historian, but I had a realization recently that we were watching Nightmare on Elm Street, and Molly made a comment about how the how the parents were treating the kids like it's a probably silent generation parents uh which had a very like uh invasion of the spot body snatchers conformity vibe vibe to them and gen xers who are hyper individualistic uh very, it's a very interesting relationship where parents i remember parents being very eager to and, and generational theory supports this too, and and the history of study done towards that. Uh, in the eighties, there was an increasing desire for religionizing, an increasing desire for sending your kids to, um, uh, you know, sending your kids to to religions or religious cults or even to literal cults in uh, all sorts of varying contexts. It's kind of the 60s to 80s, some of those things happen. And um, over the last century, up until 1994, insane asylums were a thing. And in Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, there's kids like waking up and screaming. And uh, there, there's a very different approach today than there would have been, you know, nearly 40 years ago to where... Today, you know, Molly would make a comment of how, like, we need to get that kid some help. Whereas 40 years ago, getting someone some help meant possibly sending them to an insane asylum uh, at worst. Uh, And especially if systems knew about it, if like the school system or whatever, uh, your kid would get taken away 
he would have nothing to do with the parents. He would just be like, you know, parenting failed or bad genes or whatever, and people would be taken away. And by today's standards, that's horrific. And that's a reason why those things don't exist anymore. But there are people alive today that have lived through that still, through that fear, through that threat. And as I've talked about on this podcast, as we're getting to know culturally about complex PTSD and in a way are like our, our internal programming, getting to know that these things, these fears don't necessarily go away. They still exist within us. And I think part of what I wanted to convey on this podcast that I've been having a hard time conveying, I've tried to record a couple of times now, is this feeling that there's a validity to that feeling. That if that's the feeling that you're having, that you have a fear of going to therapy or you're having a hard time finding a therapist or you don't trust the system or you don't trust hospitals, you don't trust whatever, that either that may be your narrative or maybe your parents' narrative that you've adopted. And I think in my case, I think it's a, my parents' narrative that I adopted, but I also took it on myself, this fear of, of going to doctors, going to hospitals and you know, being found out, right? Which is very counterculture to, or not counterculture, but very contrary, contrary to the way things are emerging today. There's an increasing desire to trust systems that are being created. Um, there are increasing numbers of, of therapists who are doing good work, therapists who are able to actually help and support people. Um, even though the healthcare system in America, for example, is still not um, great and trustworthy at scale, there's an increasing number of 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 healthy options, particularly within specific cultures. Whether that's, uh, uh, I'll just I'll just say it: the white woman liberal culture. And I'm not saying that antagonistically. I'm just saying specifically. That's a very comfortable, safe place for a lot of people to get therapy. Um, it's all kind of surrounded. Like, that's the nucleus, and it's sort of expanding from there is what I'm saying. And with that comes some healthy desire to get other people to also join the party and, and, and get therapy and get help and support and get as many people healed as possible. But then there's also the other side where it becomes like anything that sort of starts to homogenize a little bit. There is a religiosity to it. And with any kind of religiosity it becomes a prejudice. And there's already inherent prejudices that exist within everybody, first of all. And, um, there's an increasing acceptance of, of, of prejudice against the white male, right? Especially the, the extroverted thinking white male, because that's been, let's face it, that's been a big challenge. That's been, uh, a, an aspect of history, like extroverted thinking over the last hundred years in terms of building systems, uh, prosperity, success, uh, you know, go, 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 go has been very rampant over the last hundred years or so in America in particular. 
and there's a different energy rising to meet it and counterbalance it, which is absolutely necessary and is improving uh, systems. But with that, again, comes a prejudice towards that. It's sort of like two, two uh, archetypes starting to fling poo at each other. And uh, because there are plenty of grown men who are being assholes to women and uh, in, in those cultures that I'm talking about. But within the new emerging culture, that there is this meme of, you know, men don't go to therapy. They'd rather build their bike or something like that. Right. And so there's, there's this, there's this kind of elitism forming a little bit around being a person that goes to therapy. And the struggle is that if there is this specific expectation of what it means to be a person that is able and willing to go to therapy, where does that leave a lot of people who have a genuine built-in fear that if they express their mental health, like there's, there's on one hand, almost a culture forming around like almost a personality system forming around what is your mental health diagnoses. I have OCD. I have ADHD. I have bipolar disorder. I have borderline personality disorder. It's almost something that you put in your Twitter bio. Right. It's just a it's a it's a part of a personality system almost. And there are aspects of those those are real things. And I don't say that to say that this that's not a real thing that people experience. But there is an aspect of it that's feeling like it's a personality system. And some of it probably is because there is conflation of of personality uh like particular brains not fitting into the system that they were raised in. And so there's, on the one hand, there's that idea that it's, there's a lot of pride around expressing your mental health. There's a lot of pride and frankly, money to be made. I don't say that cynically, just there's, there's opportunity there. There is, um, community there. There's a lot springing up around these ideas. And then there's this other aspect where that's not happening, where there are real fears that if you express how you feel, you're going to get kicked out of your community or you're going to get kicked out of um, your family or that your school is going to take you away or whatever, right? And I don't know where the line is, but it feels like there is the generational line of where that fear exists and where the fear doesn't exist. And that, that's, that feels like a really important line to me. I, I don't know where to go from there with that, but there's, I know for me and you know, I, I'm my, my parents would say over and over again that like, you're fine. You're okay. We don't need to go. You're, you're, there's nothing wrong with you. And, and I, would hear the fear in their voice. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. Right. 
And I imagine there's a fear in a lot of parents' voices of millennials and younger expressing their mental health openly and slowly learning over time that their kids are not going to be taken away or ostracized or never make it. Um, and, and I mean, it could be fear. It could be anger. It could, uh, like fear comes out in all sorts of different ways. Right. And I think there is very much a generational divide when it comes to mental health. I feel like I'm on the, 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 the blurry line, <laughs> um, of, I very much relate to older generations in especially Gen X. I kind of grew up a lot of around a lot of Gen Xers and in a Gen X culture and all of that. And, uh, I think it was Bill Burr, someone who conveyed that, like, you know, it, it wasn't always that you would just be gently introduced into a happy system. They were, there was a time where people would just roll up in a van and be like, all right, buddy, let's put you in a straight jacket and take you away. Whether that was a homeless person or, uh, you know, kids on the street too late, uh, causing all sorts of criminal mischief or whatever. Right. It's just very different times. And I, I, there's really no, I don't, I don't really feel like there's, there's, there's healthy expressions and remnants of those times, um, in a way that informs our modern times. Now, I, I think there are like improvements, meaning that there's a lot of focus on progress, right? There's a lot of focus on let's, let's create better systems, create our better opportunities. Let's create health, quote unquote. But there's a lot of like, again, like the social pressure misses the depth internally of the very real connections of, to our own systems. I mean, personal emotional systems of our programming and our relationship to those insane asylums or potentially being taken away. I mean, so many ghost stories, like Ghost Hunters, all the best episodes are about, you know, insane asylums and the horrors of those places. Why do we think that people would just forget, you know? Of course that's in us. Of course that's a part of a fear. You know, when somebody says to me, like, uh, you should go to therapy, I'm like, Oh, that's scary. <laughs> I'm recognizing, even though I'm a person that also preached the idea of going to therapy, and I, I, I do still think it's very valuable. I also acknowledge the fear that exists of expressing too much to too many people or expressing the wrong thing to the wrong people, right? And I, I, I tried going very much very hard in the other direction, right? Like, again, I, I walk the line because I've seen the value of holding back in that if you have a culture that is not supporting mental health as a personality system, essentially, then of course you're not going to embrace that. But then also, 
if mental health is essentially a forming as a personality system, a belonging system, then yes, you're going to lean into that. So it's really interesting, this sort of divide that exists, and that a lot of this podcast was me pushing that. It was me like really owning the mental health diagnoses. Me even having, I mean, right now I'm going through a chemical crash and I'm in bed and I'm recording this in bed, but it's also bringing up interesting insights and we're learning more from the ability to be transparent. Like the world is very much different in that we can be more transparent about what we're experiencing more than ever. And that's a beautiful thing. But it's also, I've also been on that side of feeling elitist about it, of feeling like, like, uh, the world would be a better place if everyone just went to therapy. And I think in some cases, yes, but also there's always questions of who's doing the therapy (laughs) and do we, do we have enough information to, uh, an experience to be able to help every possible iteration? I don't think so. Um, because there's the very real divide of not reaching a lot of people who are very much scared and, the fear is that if we're, I mean, my fear is that if we're not able to see that and acknowledge that and respect that, then that blurry line will kind of crystallize and it will create further divides. And it will create a divide going into the future because there will be a time in the future that as these things homogenize as this way of getting health or spirituality or going to yoga or whatever, uh, homogenizes, then there's going to be a counter rebellion to that. And that's just kind of part of the cycles of humanity. Things, you know, systems form and people rebel against those systems and then systems form and people rebel against those systems. It's just like human history, right? Over and over and over again, because new people are born And when new people are born, they form new thoughts or new rebellions or new ideas. And, you know, we're kind of constantly testing the, 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 the integrity of the human structures that we're building of, of countries, of societies, etc. And I feel like this is a, this is an emerging test. This is an emerging and important test, not only at scale, but on an individual level, like there's nothing I can do at scale to make any sort of quote unquote change other than conveying to you that if you're someone, including myself, uh, who has railed against people for not going to therapy, like that's ironically insensitive (laughs) in a world that we're trying to increase sensitivity, trying to increase support, increase opportunity as a result of that sensitivity and support. And that if we're trying to increase sensitivity and support, but then sort of being an asshole to people who are not willing to do that, then that sort of cancels itself out. It's 
what people would call hypocrisy. And so I, I think I'm just trying to convey that um, there is a very real fear that exists, and I think it's okay to be sensitive to that fear. Now, I do think, again, that people need to find their way through if they want to, but uh, that's not up for me to decide. I just wanted to convey that I, I recognize that that existed within me, and uh, that's an emerging curiosity, frankly, of, of, of what someone thinks still when they think of mental health or mental illness. And does that mean mental health needs a rebrand? I think maybe it does. Um, but then there's also still a fear. I don't know if the fear is founded or not of these homogenizing ways of getting mental health and support. Like there's literally a company called better help that some of the commercials are freaking me out a little bit. I don't know. It's just kind of treating everyday uncomfortableness as something you need to go to therapy for. And when you get single entities or single ideals, meaning when you get like, with all due respect to liberal white women, you get liberal white women controlling the, uh, the destiny of what it means to be a healthy person, then that becomes the new culture. That becomes the new definition of what it means to be a good or bad person. That becomes the new ideal for health. And so what I'm hoping for is that there are more versions, more cultures, more ideas of what it means to be a, a healthy person or to get support. Um, and I've no way, like, <laughs> I didn't want to mention the political stuff because, like, that always activates an automaticity in anyone, and, and that's not what I'm trying to do. Um, what I want to convey ultimately is that what's been the crux of this podcast, what's been the main focus of this podcast since its inception has been that your mental health story is your story. It's your trajectory. It's your life. And that there is a life that you're living in between therapy sessions, right? And that it's your responsibility to figure out techniques to get support from coaches, from therapists for the techniques or the types of medication maybe you need or whatever, but it's still your sovereignty. It's your agency. It's your life. That is your responsibility. And that even though you'll get support from emerging systems that submitting to any kind of system is not healthy either. Just as submitting to an insane asylum was clearly unhealthy, but at the time, it, it, especially early on, it wasn't. And uh, that's all I'm saying now is that regardless of how healthy something seems and it how healthy it may be, it's still your personal agency that's going to be important at the end of the day. So make the best choices that you can for you.
happychemicals.org if you're an INTP looking for support in your life, in your trajectory, based on some of my story, based on some of what I've learned about being an INTP and growth and development and stuff like that, certainly take your own sovereignty and agency and and uh, go through some of those uh, courses if you'd like. And uh, But, you know, certainly don't have to do my stuff. And, uh, you know, get some support in those areas. Um, I've been, you know, what's funny enough about doing this podcast episode is like I've been trying to move away from talking about mental health, but I feel like this is too important to open up some dialogue and see what happens. Like, I'm curious about your relationship to insane asylums. Is it something that feels like it's in the back of your brain related to mental health or is that something you don't think about at all? Um, I'm curious, leave a comment, ask a question, let me know. All right. I have been and continue to be Christian Rivera and I'll catch you next time on happy chemicals. See ya.